morning. I think those boxes are due today. They're due today. So you were holding out. You were like, I'm bringing my 50 boxes uh, on the last day. That's today. That's today that you can bring them. Uh, so uh, I would encourage you to bring those, finish packing them up, uh, rent a U-Haul trailer and bring them on in. And uh, that'll be fantastic. Uh, I think if I under if I understood correctly, the women's luncheon went well yesterday. Um, all the women showed up, and then all the women left, and they're all left alive. So that's always a good a good event, right? Uh, praise the Lord for that. And then um, uh, one thing that's been really interesting to see is. Uh, thinking about the blessings of the fact that uh, each year we've uh, been able to do, each year I'm saying, we've been able to do these boxes now for a little while. Uh, I'm not sure how many years we've been doing it, but uh, for a little while we've been doing it, and uh, it seems like that number has has increased each time, which has been a huge uh, blessing to, to think about that these boxes go out and they're a tool that's used to be able to share the gospel with, with individuals. Now, uh, to think, to put it into perspective, uh, different things have happened within our church so that uh, over the years, we're not the same amount of people as when it first got started. And yet, by God's good grace, even though numerically we're not the same, uh, we're less, uh, that number has increased. That's a huge blessing to think that uh, less people are giving more boxes. Uh, but that, that's not just uh, boxes. Uh, you think about um, this summer, 31 uh, individuals from North Oaks Baptist Church went to uh, Mountain City, Tennessee to do a, uh, a missions trip, help them with their uh, VBS. And uh, people from this church gave, and uh, it covered the expenses for all 31 individuals that went. That's, that's an incredible amount uh, to think of all the gas and everything that it took to go there and come back. That's uh, incredibly giving. And uh, not, not only that, but uh, we set the, uh, the goal to have $11,000 for Lottie Moon, which is uh, a missionary offering for uh, the International Mission Board. And we have surpassed that $11,000. Uh, and then, not, not just that, we have, uh, uh, people have given from the church, and the amount that is needed to pay for the airline tickets for those going to the trip to Spain has been covered totally uh, by, by offerings that you all have given. That's an incredibly giving, uh, and even though we're less people, that's a lot of giving. Boxes, Lottie Moon, two missions trips, uh, that's praise the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know if you're accustomed of giving somebody a high five, but maybe you want to give the person beside you a high five. Like that, that's, that's an amazing thing. That's a bunch of money that has been given for the cause of Christ, for the gospel to go out. Uh, that, that is just amazing to think about that with lesser people, so much has been done. And uh, it, it's a huge praise of God's grace on this church. Uh, this Wednesday, Dave is going to be teaching on prayer, 
and prayer in the local church, I would encourage you to come and uh, be part of that Wednesday night Bible study uh, to, to hear about prayer. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 11 all the way to verse 16. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, this is the Word of the Lord. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to a unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplied according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church, and thank you so much for uh, the disposition to give, to give to your cause of reaching people with the gospel. Uh, thank you that um, uh, you provide, and thank you that uh, there's a willingness to, to give. Father, I pray now that as we look at the, these verses, that your spirit would, would show us areas that maybe we need to be encouraged in, we need to be comforted in, that uh, we need to repent of. Father, I'm sure that we all come with uh, a myriad of different uh, experiences from this last week. And I'm sure that we all have different struggles that might be uh, bombarding our minds right now. And I pray that uh, those things can be put aside for a little bit and that your spirit would illumine our minds so that we can become more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. If you could, dream for me just for a minute. Dream about uh, a life, a life where you could have everything that you wanted. I mean everything. Think about that life. What, what would be there? What would it include? For some, uh, family is very important, and maybe you would have some type of house, uh, and land with other homes for your children, maybe for their, their children, and you would all be on like uh, some type of property somewhere all together. And, and maybe you think that would be a life worth lived to have us all together there. Or, or maybe your thing is uh, experiences. You, you like to try different foods and uh, try new cuisines and and you lived a life going from restaurant to restaurant and trying all the different two-star, three-star Michelin restaurants and, and, and enjoying all the experiences. Or, or maybe you would say, you know, a life worth lived is if I had a, a, a boat, a really big boat, and I just 
just traveled from continent to continent, uh, visiting different countries, filling up my passport with stamps, and that would be a life worth living. Imagine, just imagine what it would be. What would be those things that would be in that life worth living? Now let me ask you, uh, imagine that you could live that life and you did everything you dreamed of, but you did not live by practicing the spiritual gift that Christ has given you. Would you consider that a good life? As in you did everything you wanted, but you had to push aside the spiritual gift that Christ has given you. You didn't do that, but you did all these other things, these wonderful things. I'm not talking about doing any type of sin. I'm not talking about any type of sin at all. I'm talking about doing things that are... Uh, are, are good things. Would you have considered that that was a good life? Or, or would you consider you have wasted your life? That you threw it all away? Now, I can imagine it a, a different way. Imagine you didn't do a single dream that you had. You, you never got married. Or you got married and, and your family just dissolved. Kids don't talk to you. Husband doesn't talk to you. The dog doesn't even look at you. It keeps on running away each time. I mean, I mean, there, there's your career path. Your neighbor is living your career path, but you don't get the promotion. You just don't get it. I mean, you keep on getting demoted. and You don't get a single thing that you hoped for, but you consistently practice the spiritual gift that you were given would that be a good life? Would that be a life worth living? Or would you consider that a, a wasted life? There's one thing that scares me above anything else, and that is to waste my life. I mean, that's the one thing that, that scares me. To, to think that I've invested years into something just to look back and say, well, that was just all about me. That was just what I wanted, and it was just a waste. There's nothing more crippling to think about than a, a wasted life. You only get one. You don't get to go back and say, well, uh, that was really bad. I'm, I'm going to go this path now. No, there's no going back. Now, the context that we see this exercising of these gifts that we see, uh, we can trace it back to chapter 2. And in verse 8, you remember where Paul is addressing about salvation. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation happens through faith. Uh, it, it's not by works, as we're going to see, but uh, through, grace, uh, through faith. That It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that uh, no one may boast. It, there's not a way of getting to heaven by, by trying to do and do and do and do. You don't get that way. It's by putting faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. It's, it's repenting of your sin and, and turning to him. It's believing what Christ did on the cross that saves you from your sin. There's not a work in the world that you can do to get that, to get closer to God. There's nothing you can do. But being saved, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. This gets fleshed out more over in chapter 4 where there's these gifts that are being given. And these gifts that are being given are supposed to be used. Now, as we think about this, this workmanship that was created long before, it was God that, uh, that elected. He's the one that adopted. It's Christ that redeemed. It's the spirit that, that seals the believer. God has been organizing all this thing, and therefore he owns the individual that is saved. And he gets to decide what that individual is going to be doing. He's prepared good works for this person. Now, as we look at this today, Christ graciously gives gifts to individuals to strengthen the church in love. That's what we'll be looking at specifically today. Christ graciously gives gifts to individuals to strengthen the church in love. Uh, Christ uh, gifted saints to equip saints, and we see that in verse 12. Christ gifted saints to equip saints. Uh, if you see there, verse 11 has this whole list of of gifts, the gift of apostle, the gift of prophet, of evangelist, and the pastor, a teacher. Uh, people have taken this in two different ways. Some have taken this as an abbreviated list of spiritual gifts. In other words, it's like uh, there are apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, et al., right? And what follows. And what follows, you would have to go to Romans, you would have to go to 1 Corinthians, and you get a fuller list of spiritual gifts. And, and some hold to that, but there's another interpretation that holds that these gifts in particular are to form a certain function for equipping the church to do certain ministries, to do whatever other spiritual gift has been given. Spiritual gifts are in a certain ability that Christ gives the individual to do something. It's an, an ability. For example, the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, is, is that ability that when nobody else can see what in the world we're going to do, the person says, uh, God's going to make a way. Let's go. And everybody starts following behind it. The guy has a gift of faith. You, you, you say, I, I'm not gonna, I don't see how it's going to happen. And they say, yes, I see how it's going to happen. God's gonna, he's going to do something, and they go. Or the gift of exhortation in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 8. That word exhortation has this idea of coming alongside somebody to, to urge strongly, to appeal, to exhort somebody. And so the person that has this gift comes alongside of somebody and walks along with them, uh, whether it's to kind of help them because they're doing certain things and they need to repent and turn from those things, or maybe they're discouraged and they walk alongside and encourage them for a little bit. Uh, every spiritual gift has a certain function, but these spiritual gifts have a certain function that kind of activates or helps the other spiritual gifts. Uh, remember that a spiritual gift is not an office. So as we're talking about these things, we're not talking about the office of these, of these different gifts. We're talking about people who are gifted. And we're not talking about ministry positions either. Uh, somebody, some churches have this idea that if you have this certain spiritual gift, there must be a ministry where you can be doing it in an organized fashion within the church. And if you look at these churches, I mean, they have this huge list of ministry walls. I mean, it's just ongoing. It's huge because they got to plug people into each little thing. 
It's not a ministry position either. And it's not a talent. A talent is something that you're born with. It's the combination of your parents' genes and the ability. Uh, some are, are talented with, with sports. Uh, they, they throw a basketball and, and, it, and it goes in. Uh, I throw a basketball and it goes that way or it goes this way, but it doesn't go in. Uh, uh, a football. Some people throw the football and it just does this little spiral thing. Have you seen it? And uh, I throw the football and it does this wobble thing, you know. And the person's like, oh my word. <laughs> uh, uh, it's talent. But a spiritual gift is not a talent. It, it's something that Christ has given that enables you to serve in a certain uh, manner. Now, as we look at this, that Christ gifted saints to equip saints, Paul tells them that Christ has graciously gifted them and he, and he explains these gifts. Uh, we're going to see here three prepositions, and we're going to have to try to understand these three prepositions, and we'll look at each one as we move forward. But just so that you, in case you like to highlight or do something like that, verse 12, the first one is for, uh, as in for the equipping of the saints. The next preposition is for the equipping of service. And then the third uh, preposition, that uh, it's not translated as a preposition, but it's translated, uh, it, it should be like for the building up of the body of Christ, but it says to, uh, to the building up of the body of Christ. So those are the ones that we're going to look at. Uh, here's this uh, idea of the first four. It says, for the equipping. That, that word for, this preposition has this idea of, of moving in a direction uh, that you're aiming at. It, it's, it has this idea that uh, you're doing this movement, this uh, have an orientation with a goal in mind. Uh, for example, a truck driver will go down to the port and uh, they'll get a container. And as they get that container, that container has a destination. It's not like you get the container and you just drive around Houston and then park wherever you want to. Uh, that container gets put on the truck and they have to go to a specific place. It, it's this idea. Uh, it has an orientation, an aim, or a goal. It's moving in a certain direction. And the direction that these gifts of verse 11 have been given is for this thing. What is this thing? The equipping. That, that word equipping has an idea of perfection or education. It has the idea of uh, to make somebody completely adequate or sufficient for something. You're, you help them along to make them uh, adequate or sufficient for what they are supposed to do. If a person is supposed to be uh, working in a kitchen, then they need certain training to help them to do that task. If their job is to go and disarm mines in the battlefield, well, you don't teach them how to cook, you teach them how to disarm a mine, right? They, they have to be adequate for the job they're doing. So this, this four, these, these gifts are given, have an aim for this purpose, which is equipping or perfecting, making the person completely adequate or sufficient for what they're supposed to be doing. And who is being made adequate? The saints. The saints are equipping the saints. Well, that's an interesting idea. The word saint is this uh, uh, something that has been dedicated or consecrated for God's service. 
And does, does the believer fall within the category of somebody consecrated to the service of God? Well, yes, it was, it was his idea to save. It was Christ who, who redeemed. It's the Spirit who, who seals. Does he have any? He has all right to say, yes, this is mine, and I'll decide what to do with it. Now, uh, thinking about this, that Christ gifted saints uh, to equip saints, your, your gifting is for others. The, the gifts that you have received are to be used for other people. When, when we give a gift to somebody, um, say uh, Joe's going to give a, a gift to Sue. Uh, if he's really smart, it'll be like a, a gift card to like Texas Roadhouse, and then he'll say, who are you going to take? Me, you know, so it, it benefits himself too, right? Uh, those are the best types of gifts to give. The, the type that you can get a benefit out of it is uh, yourself too. Uh, but he, he gives a gift. In giving that gift, he, the, the gift is supposed to be for her, right? He, he's waiting, anticipating to see her open up the gift and, and say, oh, what a, what a wonderful coffee mug, or oh, what a wonderful sweater, or, or oh, what a wonderful whatever, you know? And it's for her to enjoy this gift is not like that. This gift is given for the purpose of using it for other people, not to be enjoyed privately somewhere else. The gifts that Christ gives are used in people's lives. Now, it, it's Christ that sovereignly gives these as he so chooses. And he gives it graciously. He gives all people graciously. There's not a single person that says, well, I deserve this. There's nothing more dramatic than to use the example of the author of Ephesians. You think about Acts chapter 7. Stephen's there preaching this wonderful sermon of Old Testament theology. He's, he's tracing how, how God had chosen uh, Abraham and how the whole time they were often worshiping other idols, but God graciously has moved into their lives and is saving them, redeeming them. And then God brings his son, and they rejected him. And, of course, the crowd, they get infuriated. They're so enraged. You see it in Acts 7.54. They just become so enraged at him that they take him outside of the city, and they start to take off their coats, and they put those coats at the feet of one called Saul. And then they pick up stones and they start stoning him to death. Stephen. They start stoning him to death and, and Saul is there and he's watching and he's okay with it. He, not, not that he's just okay with it. He says, you know what, this, this needs to be done everywhere for these followers of Jesus. He makes an appointment, goes talks with the high priest says, I, I want to be authorized. I, I need letters of authorization. And, and, and I'm going to go and find these people who are following this Jesus, and I'm going to have them arrested. And better yet, if, if they tried to, I'm going to have them killed. This is Saul. Acts chapter 9, 1 through 7, you remember that he gets those letters of recommendation, those letters that authorize him to do this. And off he goes to Damascus. Starts traveling north. And there's an experience he has. There he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says in Acts 
9, 1 through 7, he says, you're persecuting me. Paul has a dramatic conversion there. He goes on to Damascus, but no longer to persecute Christians, but now as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, moving forward, Paul goes out to the desert, has an experience where he gets discipled by the risen Savior. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's, he's really pumped. I mean, this, this life-transforming thing that has happened to him, and, and he's talking to the believers there in the, in the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, and he's is wanting to talk with the apostles, and, and he's just so excited. And the people of the church are making a plot to see how they can kill him. Can you believe that? I mean, I haven't heard yet from this church, I haven't heard yet from this church that there's been a plot to kill somebody. I'm not saying that there hasn't been, I'm just saying I haven't heard of it. But they were plotting to kill Paul. In fact, they had to make another plot to get him out, lure him outside of the wall in the basket, and off he went, and he's off at Tarsus doing who knows what, but he's hanging out. The church in Jerusalem hears, after a little while, of the Spirit of the Lord working in Antioch. And they say, we, we need to investigate this. Let's send Barnabas up there. Barnabas goes, and he's going to go investigate what's going on, and sure enough, the Spirit is working. And he's like, I need help. I'm going to go get Paul. And from Antioch, he goes off to Tarsus. How he finds him, I have no idea. I wish, I wish Luke would have explained that a little bit. Uh, did he have a, you know, a postcard? Did he use Google Maps? Well, how did he find in all the houses where Saul lived? Did he go door by door knocking? Uh, yeah, I'm looking for Paul. He used to be Saul. He finds him. He says, I need somebody gifted with apostleship. There's a church being started. The Spirit is working. I need somebody gifted like that. Now, be, be real honest. Assume we were going to uh, send out a missionary, and we started collecting resumes of people interested in doing that, and we started seeing education, life experiences, maybe places of service, conversion story, and we get uh, Paul's. Oh, wow, he's, he's really trained. He's out of the feet of Gamaliel. That's pretty impressive. Oh, look, he, uh, ooh, he persecuted Christians. Do you think maybe we could put him as a janitor? Maybe, you know, uh, see if Fred has a place for him cutting grass. Really? We wouldn't want to hire him. He wouldn't pass the background check on us. We're like, no, we don't want this guy. But God's grace is amazing in that he sovereignly chooses to whom he wants to give these gifts. And he gives them for the purpose of serving others. That's what Paul ended up doing. He invested his life in the life of other people. He invested his life in starting churches. He invested his life in like Timothy and Titus who then went out and started churches. Uh, he had a group of people that he was investing into, and then he was witnessing and investing in other people's lives. His gift was used for other people, and Christ sovereignly gave this. Not only Christ gifted saints to equip saints, and our gift is 
to be used for others. But our gift is needed. Our gift is needed. If you think about this in two different ways, uh, one is that God could have chosen any number of ways to have a person equipped. I mean, he's God. He could have thought of a thousand different ways of equipping. He could, have, he could do it himself. But out of all the different ways of equipping, he decided to use sinners that have been saved to invest their life in the life of other sinners that have been saved. That's an amazing thing to think about. Like, that's not going to work. You don't get one faulty thing and have the faulty thing invest its life in another faulty thing. And God says, I'm sovereign enough that I will make it work. You're like, no, it, it's not going to work. We're we bigger and we're proudful. And, and he says, I'm sovereign enough to make it work. And he does. The saints are needed for equipping, which is this amazing idea. This is the second point, is your gift is needed. God has chosen to equip you, but there's a paradox here. The person, when they accept Christ as their Savior, the Spirit comes and dwells in them. Think about that. God indwelling an individual. All there is is potential there. God indwelling the individual, the believer. All there is is potential. And yet, for edification to happen, another fallen person must invest their life in the life of that other person to help them grow. It's a paradox that the person has the spirit in them, and yet they're requiring to have this other individual come and invest their life, use their spiritual gifts to help them grow for this equipping of the saints. This is the plan that God has. Now, the next thing that we see here, which is the second preposition, is that Christ gifted saints to train others to serve. Now, some translations have a, a comma right there before that uh, for. So it has like, uh, for the equipping of the saints, and then comma, for the work of service. The New American Standard does not. Uh, but let me talk about a little bit of the theology behind that type of translation. There are certain denominations that uh, kind of see a, a big gap between clergy and laity. And this difference between clergy and laity uh, gets this idea where these individuals are gifted and they quit and, and then they are the ones who are serving, they do this ministry. The, they're the ones, the clergy is doing the ministry, the laity come, and I don't know what the laity do, they just sit there and, and absorb, I don't know what they do with all the absorption, but they absorb all this information, then they go out, and then they come back again and absorb more. And you have certain denominations that have this. It's a, a hierarchy of structure where the clergy are involved in, in doing all the work. They do all the ministry. Uh, th there is another way of understanding this. And the other way of understanding it is that these individuals are gifted to help the individuals, the saints, do the work of the service. Now, this one way of looking at it where the clergy do everything it comes from a certain type of interpretation that sees a, a certain carryover from the Old Testament. So as God worked in the people of God in the Old Testament, and there was a specific tribe that took care of the temple, 
and out of that tribe there was one family that could be the high priest. Nobody else served. The king didn't serve in the temple. The prophets didn't serve. The judges didn't serve. It was the priests that served, and as God chose them to serve in the temple, so these individuals like to carry the theology over to the church. The error is that Paul has presented that the church is a mystery, something that is different from the Old Testament, something that has now been revealed. It has not the idea of a continuation, but progressive revelation, where something has been given that's new, and therefore it has a different dimensions to it. So what is this? He's giving these gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are for the equipping of the saints, and these saints are doing the work of the service. That, that's what they're doing. That's what they're involved in. They're involved in working this, this service uh, to serve. Now, this is something really interesting to think about. As they are equipped, as they are perfected, they're going to work in service. One of the big differences between mature believers and immature believers is that a mature believer serves and an immature believer never has time to serve. They never do. They always come expecting somebody to have the AC or the heat on. They're always expecting somebody to have the door unlocked and the lights on. They're always expecting for somebody to have pulled out all the sheets of paper and have them there for... An immature Christian does not work in service. They don't. And if you ask them, they say, oh, I don't have time. I just don't have time. I've got other things to do. Yet a mature believer serves. They're equipped to be able to do the work of service, of serving individuals. And that's, that's a huge distinction between an immature believer and a mature believer. It's worth doing the self-examination at this point. How much do I serve? And how much do I expect to be served? Well, I don't expect to be served and I don't serve. Well, that kind of also tells you uh, your maturity level as a believer. A mature believer invests their life in the service of other people, of serving God by serving other individuals. That's what they do. Now, a Christian who wants to consider themselves strong without serving is not a very mature believer. This isn't about titles. This isn't about positions or ministry programs. This is about individuals that see an opportunity to serve, and they go and serve. That, that's what it's all about. It's they are equipped, and as they are equipped, they see opportunities around them. We, cannot, we can't develop enough ministries for all the different needs around us. It'd be impossible. It'd be always forming these different structures and on and on and on and on. But if you can make the believers to be equipped, then as they see needs, then they'll go and serve. Now, is the end result to have these individuals serving? No, that's not the end result. The end result is found there in our last preposition, to the building up or for the building up of the body of Christ. It, it works towards this point. It moves in this direction, going towards this orientation so that the body of Christ is built up. 
this uh, is really neat to think about because it has this idea of building to make bigger, but it also means building to, to fill out a certain form. Uh, like, for example, uh, we're getting ready to make pies and so forth, so you have a, a ball of dough, and you, you can't just grab the ball of dough and uh, get a pie pan and put it there and then pour the pumpkin mix or pour the pecans over it and then put it in the oven, right? That, that, some people are, you can't do that? <laughs> no, you can't do that. You've got to make the dough conform to the mold. And, and so you have to have the, the rolling pin and then you have to stretch it out. You got, I, was, I was thinking about bringing dough and throwing flour here, but I decided not to. Uh, so you have to, you got to move the dough and you have to keep on pressing it and pressing it and pressing it until it gets to the size of the mold that you're using. It just so happens to be that the church, the mold that we're supposed to be pressed towards is Christ himself. And, and, and the point of being equipped and being serving is that it moves to build into that form so that what is seen in us is Christ and not ourselves. We end up looking more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. Our identity gets lost and what is seen is Christ. And it happens through being equipped, through serving one another. I don't want to serve. I want to be served. You don't know all the gifts that I have. You don't know how important I am. Christ came to serve. And he created everything. And he sustains everything. Now, for some of you, it might be impossible to be molded to the image of Christ because you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you had a religious experience at one time Maybe you, you cried, maybe you filled out a form, but, but you've never really trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. None of this makes sense because you're not gifted. Blessing. Therefore, you're, you're lost. Today I would accept Christ as your Savior, to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you'll get the spiritual gift and you'll be able to use it in the life of others to grow into the image of Christ. For other of us here, maybe as we look and examine what we've been doing last week and the week before and the week, we say, there's not much service. I'm serving myself. I'm, I'm, I'm growing. But more and more people are seeing me and they're seeing less and less of Christ. That should be repented of. And we should be equipped so that we can serve so that Christ's body, as it says later on, will be all in all. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would, uh, your spirit would convict hearts and show us any area that we may need to repent of. Father, if there's someone here that has not accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Father, they might not want to come forward. I pray that they'll reach out to the person beside of them and that that person will lead them uh, to you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me? Oh, so